record this? Sure, no problem. Okay, okay. All right. Um, well, since we're recording um, and it's 101, uh, I'm going to go ahead and start here for people to see it later if they if they like. Um, today we are speaking with uh, Daniel Toshio Harrell, PhD, and Dr. Mustafa Abdul Mokis. Unfortunately, um, Dr. Um, is it Dr. Andrew Krishid. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, he won't be joining us today, which is fine. Um, we're all busy people. Um, my um, Myself, my name is Ryan Wright. Um, I am the Blockchain Healthcare Today Ambassador for Missouri, um, one of only in the Midwest. And Blockchain and Healthcare Today is an international journal with the mission to share research and experiential knowledge through a peer review process. The journal is open to the public and easily acceptable and blockchain, at Blockchain and Healthcare Today. The Missouri chapter is responsible for sharing this knowledge and onboarding any organization interested in becoming a member, a member of Partners in Digital Health Initiative. And you might want to look out for the 2022 symposium on September 15th in Austin, Texas. Um, and uh, I assume maybe you guys will be there. You're in Austin, maybe. <laughs> um, now, uh, I'll introduce each of the people here. We've got uh, Dr. Er, uh, Dr. Mustafa Abdul Mohit, and we also have Dr. or Daniel Toshio, PhD. Excuse me, I keep wanting to call you doctor. And we are here to speak about their MetaLinker project that was described in two papers in the Blockchain and Healthcare Today journal um, review of the um, 2021 um, Conv2X. But um, I believe your paper came out after that. It was published in March. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, yes. So um, their paper, they have two papers uh, for a MetaLinker project. One is the design and the other is the use and the outcome. And I'm just going to describe real quick. Um, first of all, let me let you guys go into a little bit more about your introduction. I'm sorry. Um, why don't you go ahead, Daniel, and tell me how, how did you intersect with blockchain and medicine at the same time? So uh, thank you for having us. Uh, uh, my name is Daniel Toshio Harrell, and I, I do, I'm a research associate at the University of Texas Dell Medical School. And I got into blockchain research by trying to uh, find a solution for patient-centric records, because uh, in the United States, it's a very federated model where data is isolated in institutions and very hard to uh, navigate for patients. Uh, particularly if you visit multiple clinics or specialities. And so uh, given that fragmented model that is present, we thought that a blockchain or decentralized model would be a good architecture base uh, to bring a patient to the center of their health continuum of care. And so that's how I got involved in blockchain at Dell Medical School. And we've been working on it for three years now. And we've been... Um, we got it to a pretty good point. Now, is there a blockchain program or are you guys doing this research kind of by yourself? Like um, uh, you went ahead and they're like, okay, well, we're gonna do blockchain with medicine or is there a certain research group other than yourself, like another hierarchy? 
So there is a, a research group that's headed by Dr. Uh, Professor Krishit, who's the PI on this project. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the Blockchain and Healthcare Lab. Uh, he oh, also okay. does a data science as well as the um, HIE or Health Information Exchange implementations for Central Texas. And so uh, there is a academic group at the Dell Medical School, but also coordinates with medical residents uh, as Dr. Abdul Muhith is our kind of medical uh, perspective. We also coordinate with double electrical engineering departments, design departments at the ICE, at School of Information to make it a cross-campus endeavor. So it's, uh, it's a big- I think, that, I think that's great. Um, Dr. Mustafa um, Mohit, do you have anything that you'd like to add about yourself? Sure, you know, similar to Daniel, um, a short introduction about myself. I'm a third year internal medicine resident here at Dell Medical School at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, and I got involved with the Medilinko group. I think it's been about a year and a half now. I, similarly to Daniel, had experiences going through medical school and now in residency with um, interoperability in healthcare, uh, transitions of care, which are a huge source of inefficiency in our current healthcare system. So looking into potential solutions, uh, blockchain had so much potential and I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to join the Medilinko group for the past year and do some more research to hopefully take some of these theoretical aspects and bring it to the clinical world. That's great. It's great. Um, yes, you're right. Um, the service line in hospitals is very fragmented. Health information exchange is um, hard. And although there are the FER, fast interoperable health record um, kind of standards, we still have a lot of um, uh, work to do with that, uh, definitely. Um, okay, so as you said, we're plagued by inefficiencies, fragmented systems, interoperability of medical records, very hard. Um, and so that was really the case for your project um, to get that together. And so uh, you designed um, a proof of concept uh, for clinical access utilizing uh, the research hospital staff you have and your familiarity with the service line um, in a hospital from uh, the front desk all the way to the end. Um, and I imagine you're working on that. Um, and uh, it was to update and improve health information exchange while increasing patient user experience um, through the utility of Hyperledger ND, uh, which makes a digital identity. And um, you uh, were able to do that through a HIPAA compliant path. Um, and you wanted to do that through decentralization and some form of blockchain where um, I believe we all kind of agree that there are still three pillars of immutability, um, anonymity, and um, some kind of distributed or decentralized um, access to it. So um, the first paper uh, basically came up with um, how you're going to put together uh, this um, identity or passport. Um, and um, I believe it has to do with a lot of identity and access management. And I brought up in our um, little um, summary that um, protocols like KYC and AML really aren't um, that appropriate for um, this process. So why don't you tell us about um, the six MetaLinker verifiable credentials that you came up with for the system, or if, if you'd like to elaborate on the first paper 
in your own way, if you would. Daniel, sure. yeah. So uh, we have, we created a, a, we're using a core technology called self-sovereign identity. And so it, it has, it, it, it relies on the fundamental trust that's uh, provided through the blockchain through a peer-to-peer -peer network. And so within that system, we create verifiable credentials, which are data sets that, uh, and then have a wrapper that allow, allows for another institution to understand that is the information within it is trust, has trust and can be used and shared on to um, for their use. And so the credentials that we, uh, we focused in on was first a health like a health identity. It's based on patient demographics. Uh, the reason we started there was uh, this project began with uh, a use case where people experiencing homelessness who may actually lose a lot of their hard paper identific identification. Uh, if they lose a backpack, they lose everything that can they can use to access healthcare. So creating a digital version that is trustable in a medical setting was the first goal. And so that one includes name, um, gender, sex, as well as uh, most recent address if they have one and date of birth for age verification and so forth. So forth. Uh, and then the next credential is a medications list. Uh, I know it's very complicated to keep track of all the medications people get from various clinics. And so having a centralized list held by the patient that can be shared with another institution can help that interoperability and create that, uh, try to avoid any, any issues with lack of knowledge during a visit. And then uh, we also have, uh, we create kind of an ecosystem as well. So include an insurance card. So that could be, we use the Met, our uh, UT or University of Texas health insurance card as motivation, but have a digital version that if there was an update, we could quickly send it to the, our, all our providers. And then from there, uh, everyone's on the same page. And then uh, we're going, next one is a, a, pay, a, a payment. So a credit is a credit card. So you could have it just like you have on your phone uh, in your mm -hmm. digital wallet. You can just submit that information to your uh, healthcare provider. And then if there's a new credit card issued to you, you could issue, you could share it with the new credit, uh, new clinic uh, without issue. Uh, the last two, uh, we also have a research credential, which is managing consent. And so where it's unique is that it's actually issued by the patient. So and institution like Dell Medical School could reach out to a patient because they to, to participate in a study. And then the patient would issue the credential to the institution to allow them access to the uh, pertinent information. And then where that, why we, we reverse that workflow is that if a patient decided to withdraw from the study, they could just revoke that credential. And that if there's a documented uh, note on the blockchain saying from this date forward, your data is no longer permitted to be a part of your study. And so it gave power back to the patient. And then the last- so, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the last credential was a medical power of attorney. So it allowed, rather than having, or in my case, personal experience, uh, I have elderly um, uh, parents. And so I kind of am as, I pretend to be them online in order to 
to check into appointments, you know, access records and so forth. In this, with the medical power of attorney credential, I can have an account and then they can give me the medical power of attorney, which is similar to the use case that they find in medical facilities. But when I do a transaction in Metalinker, it says Daniel perform gave permission for this action on behalf of my parents. Mm -hmm. And so it gives a use case. So for geriatric or for pediatric patients, so that they're not locked out of the system due to technological or age gap. Oh. But yeah, that's important because that is already, um, um, people can already access that through, I guess what you want could call legacy systems, but to have that included into a blockchain application is great. Um, and you actually had uh, an application that you um, created for these patients to, um, and we'll call them personas. Um, um, they were actually um, kind of a fictional patient that went across um, seven clinics and you actually um, created an application for them. Um, yes. Do you want, yeah, do you want to speak to that and, um, it actually, I believe, included a way to um, update um, certain records that you had spoken about. So we, we created a app. We, we have two. We have a web app that's used in the clinic, mm -hmm. but also uh, a mobile app that can be used in Android and iPhone or iOS. Okay. And so, uh, and then... And then that application allows it improve the patient interaction with the system, as well as try to minimize errors in data entry, because we could control the type of information going to each field. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then it has helped with you workflow. And then in terms of the, for the patient, for the clinic side, being able to uh, edit the information, reissue the clinic, reissue those credentials when necessary became faster uh, with the web app as well as the mo both options. Okay, that's great. Um, so um, you also decided, um, or maybe uh, everyone uses um, AWS um, for your virtual machine, um, which um, is HIPAA compliant. So there's another layer of security there for you. Um, and um, I wanted to state uh, kind of your quote, because we're getting to about the halfway point here, um, is that blockchain technologies can create a transactional identity for vulnerable populations in need of social and health care, such as persons experiencing homelessness, um, have misplaced their government-issued IDs and paperwork, and uh, Metalinker enables patient populations to hold a secure electronic health ID that is easily managed and recoverable, um, which is what you just said. But um, I wanted to state that um, the Metalinker credentials, I believe you listed about 30 data fields that those uh, credentials can cover. So there's a lot of... Um, ways in there to look for errors and redundancy and um, be able to get a more, um, let's see, um, more correct, or I don't want to say, um, more, um, um, uh, a better ID uh, for aggregation later time of um, 
uh, demographics. So um, that was, um, I really um, enjoyed the thought that there's a research team that is at a um, hospital and research hospital that's doing this at your level. I think that's a great thing, Daniel. Um, and, and thank you. So um, let's move over to Dr. Uh, Mustafa Abdul-Mohif, if he'd like, and he can uh, explain to us improving the transitions of care, designing a blockchain application for patient management. Um, and this is really about um, um, interoperability and the outcomes of the first um, part of this operation, I believe. Um, so um, I'll let Dr. Mustafa speak to that here real quick. I just wanted to say, um, tasks were not tasks included for the personas, but were not limited to clinic enrollment, verification of identity, medification, reconciliation. Uh, I think we all um, spoke about that already, but uh, there were four clinics um, and I believe three ancillary clinics. And uh, you had um, persona patients that went through your system. Um, tell us how that went. Um, yeah, so yeah. of course, yeah. So as Daniel kind of mentioned, um, our work went hand in hand, both designing the technical aspect of Medilinker and its, impl and its implementation, both informed each other uh, based off of what we do in the real world here. Um, all of the credentials that Daniel mentioned is manifested in some physical form here in the hospital when patients first arrive, whether that be through pharmacy records or pieces of paper that they have or something that, you know, a patient tells us, all that gets transmitted into an electronic medical record, which, uh, you know, as we've discussed, they're siloed, it's a federated system. So one of the things we wanted to test is to see how in a hypothetical healthcare ecosystem where we do have a blockchain solution for interoperability, would we be able to accomplish a similar transition of care from one facility to another uh, to make sure that patient care um, is uh, both effective and um, not a uh, excess waste of resources? Because that's one of the major problems. And I think, um, especially in healthcare, you'll realize once you start working on the front lines, there's a lot of redundancy. If I see a patient in the hospital, I do my workup for a specific disease process, I send them back to the clinic. If the clinic doesn't get records of exactly what was in the hospital, they might end up repeating the same labs or the imaging studies that we already did in the hospital. So with that background in mind, we examined, um, like you mentioned, of some virtual clinics as well as a research center that we all control on the back end and had um, our volunteers go through uh, different tasks at each of the clinics. And we followed them along to ensure that they were able to successfully complete this ta these tasks and that the data um, that they inputted and that was changed over the visits uh, maintained its fidelity. Ultimately, um, and we may talk about this in a little bit more detail, in a very controlled system, we were quite successful. Uh, and it kind of was a good proof of concept that this technology does have uh, some great potential in healthcare. But um, with the caveat that our healthcare system is, is a behemoth, uh, to say the least. There's many different moving parts, many different people involved, and there's actually a lot of like cultural hesitancy to shift in healthcare. It's a very slow moving field as opposed to most other fields in technology and business where there's rapid adaptation to changes. Healthcare, we're very careful, very conservative. 
And that might be just because of the nature of our work. You're, de you're dealing with folks and people's lives. So you want to be extra careful before you change onto anything. Yeah. Well, I recently heard a speech about how, in some views, a lot of people in healthcare that are don't want change quite that fast think everything's working just fine, perhaps. Um, and it is. It, it, the system's working exactly kind of how it was designed. Um, everybody is, um, I mean, each, each part of it is working good. The interoperability part, which is what we're trying or you're trying to address here is, is uh, the problem. So um, I was really, um, let's see, um, you had the uh, seven clinics and um, you, let's see, you were even able to relay the COVID-19 status, interoperability that the MetaLinker provided across the simulated healthcare system had the potential to improve transitions of care, um, blockchain technologies appear to face similar tech challenges to widespread adoption, though, as other novel inventions, namely recognition, trust, and usability. I think there's still a big problem with uh, blockchain, and a lot of people haven't decoupled it from crypto, and so they see a lot of that crime um, going on um, or practices like that. And um, further development and scaling are required for such technology to actually realize its potential in our industry. And uh, it is slowly getting there. And I have a feeling that with um, projects like these and more awareness of uh, patient ownership and um, ownership of values and data, that there may be too much pressure on um, certain healthcare facilities um, or certain healthcare organizations to slowly adopt this more and more and more and may even have to accelerate that adoption. And um, I think um, the prevalence of the pursuit of the technology is a great idea. Yeah, so. I think you bring up a very good point. As the internet of things evolve and we have more and more healthcare wearables and at home devices, we're generating our, I mean, individuals are generating an enormous amount of healthcare data. And they come to the, the clinic with all this data and tell me like, Dr. Abdul, I've been checking my heart rate and my blood sugars. And what do I need to do about that? What do I need to do about this? Of course, that's another siloed piece of data that we just have to incorporate into the broader healthcare ecosystem. So in the, on, in the broader scheme, we kind of talked about in, in the paper that blockchain does have the potential to incorporate some of this new emerging data as well. Yeah. Um, what, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought there with what you were saying. But um, basically, kind of right now, I'm, from my business experience, I see an out-of-control system, uh, one that has high cost and... Um, kind of um, not high deliverable quality as it could. So it's almost an out of control system um, and contingencies are everywhere in healthcare and updates are needed. So um, I wanted to um, state something to Daniel. Daniel, you had um, talked about how um, this was, I think somehow in your um, um, terminology, uh, um, proof of personhood. Is that something that you kind of use to describe this first part of the, the experimentation? 
So what we've done till now is created digital IDs that can be used. But what, okay. we, what we're trying to do next is evaluate whether that data, if who the person actually sent that information, is that really the person who is act, the actor? Right. And so, because um, that's the next kind of an authentication um, leg, you got the data, then you need to prove the personhood, and then you can establish the trust. And so we're working on a liveness test currently that when data is submitted from a patient's wallet, a patient's picture is part of that identity. And then a stream, you can send a credentialed picture of yourself or have a live stream with the nurse or the receptionist. And then with those pieces of information, the trust can be verified at least on a visual inspection. Uh, we can make this automated later, but at the moment, we're just trying to prove the actors are not a bad actor. And so. Sure. And I've always kind of thought in my mind that a proof of humanity, a proof of personhood would require some kind of human input as well. Like someone needs to see you or some, some kind of personal interaction has to happen because we know there's um, deep, deep fake um, bots and all sorts of things right now that uh, would love to uh, take somebody's um, identity. So, um, we're also um, exploring another concept, which is high and low assurance as well. And so okay. certain items, such, such as your medical record or a highly sensitive medical part of your uh, record, you will need to prove who you are in real time before you send it. Uh, however, sharing your insurance information or verifying insurance information, you could probably share it with just a picture. So given the circumstances that you have or the use cases that you're, or the workflows that you're in, we can ratchet up the trust, the necessary trust in order to proceed and further on the steps. Great, great. Um, well, we just have a couple minutes left. So let's go into um, the conclusions here for you guys uh, for these tests. Um, uh, I wanted to quote uh, the end of uh, the second paper, uh, a little quote and said, uh, user perception of blockchains after use. Uh, in fact, a large majority of participants felt more in control of their medical data using MetaLinker, indicating that perhaps increased exposure to blockchain technologies, like Dr. Um, Abdul Mohit has said, and education about their functions may improve public perceptions and acceptance of such novel technologies. So, the people who controlled the personas um, felt that it overall were, it became an easier process and all they really needed to do was become familiar with it and to use these apps um, that you had uh, created was um, natively, um, they were able to use them quite easily um, from what I see. We had um, a high level of uh, lean management uh, 97.50 accuracy for medication credentialing, 97.78 for insurance credentialing, and 97.5 for insurance payment. Um, used the MetaLinker system found to be very easy to use by most respondents. Do you want to speak to those results at all? Perhaps either of you. 
Yeah, yeah. sure. I, um, you know, with uh, healthcare in general, it's a partnership, right, between physicians and their patients. Uh, the physicians can do everything they can um, on their end, but ultimately everyone has to take a little bit of ownership over their own care, making sure you take your medications, you know, do the right therapies and so on and so forth. Being exposed to technology that kind of brings your healthcare closer to you, I think uh, allows people to feel a little bit more ownership over their healthcare and can potentially, you know, improve their health um, as well. So that was, you know, there, there's a lot to talk about that when it comes to patient engagement. And I think this is just one additional benefit that, you know, technology such as this can have in the delivery of healthcare. Okay. Uh, in go, terms go. for the, or the, the, the participants found more control in their healthcare and their data record. We have two major features that really influence that. And one is the revocation. So if you have a bad experience at a clinic and you just, I want, I don't want to have any association with this clinic, you can revoke their access to your data. Um, and then just say, I, I don't want you to use my data anymore. Now they have possession of a copy, maybe in their EMR. We can't do anything there, but there's a record in the blockchain saying <laughs> from this date forward, you are not allowed to use my information. Oh, okay. And then the other part is that we also have granular consent and no knowledge proofs. And so, for instance, I'm, I got referred for an orthoped, orthopedic procedure. They don't need to know half of that 30 data elements. They need to know my name and maybe the immediate referral to, to them. You can share just those pieces of information as you wish uh, to the clinic. And so that gives a lot of control to the patient, but also there are things like age or that you need to prove that you're over 21, but I don't want to share you my exact birthday, for instance. Yeah. We can do that with blockchain as with the credentialing, uh, without having, we can prove things without having to share them as well. It's, um, so are you saying they can actually maybe anonymize certain data fields? Um, if they like, or if if a patient if 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 there's a certain amount of uh, information that's required, a patient doesn't have to give everything to the institution. They can they can control what they want to and go forward. And there is a flip side to that is that a patient may hide some things, but it's on the patient is the owner of their data, so the patient should have the right to uh, share what's what they feel is appropriate. That just actually made me think of a thought. Um, and in healthcare, I always uh, encounter patients that don't think that they need to share certain information when physicians and providers think that they do. Um, and um, uh, from one thing in radiology, people won't say that they had surgery. And it's like, uh, why didn't you say you had surgery? We need to use contrast now, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So um, there is that um, um, that can backfire a little bit there, I suppose, for that for the patient if they're not really really aware of that. Um, so, and so, yeah, go ahead. So, so uh, on for that workflow that you described, which we've done in our study, is the clinic the institution can request the proof, so they can request the pieces of information that they need to proceed forward. 
Gotcha. And so it gives a little guidance to the to the patient of what information would be would be uh, necessary. Okay. And then it's up to the patient to share that information. If there's something that they don't want to share, they can maybe pick up the phone, do it in person. Like there's ways or there's ways a clinician's office can get that information if they they really needed it. But the patient in the end is the one that hits the go button to say share. Okay, great. Okay, um, future research, Daniel, if you'd like yes. to speak to that at all. Uh, so we are in our project where we've done health identity uh, for the last two or three years and pr proving liveliness and proving uh, and trying to get the workflows that uh, Dr. Mohit is uh, designed. Well, the next step is to create a patient-centric medical record that uses fire and integrates with EMRs so that a patient the real medical record is patient health. So um, I'll just use a visual example. Um, I, my father goes to five different clinics and in order to keep all those information straight, I have these. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to, so as opposed to having to write all that down and then be able to recite it to them, we could have that all be in his account on Metalinker and then we can, he could share it to the next institution and keep all those doctors on the same page and seamlessly uh, manage that data liquidity between his primary care physician and his other specialities. And so that's our big step, our next big step forward. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. And um, I think I saw another paper come out that I missed. Was there is there a third paper that I just missed in the um, blockchain and healthcare today? Maybe uh, I'm. Yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, actually, fortunately, the author of that paper is in the call today. Uh, uh, Mustafa. Okay. Um, oh, oh, uh, Robert Batista. Okay. Um, okay. Well. Um, I look forward to uh, reading that and looking a little bit more into that, and perhaps I'll see you um in september in austin texas uh for the uh conference for blockchain healthcare day um Sounds if good. you get a chance to stop by okay you guys any final thoughts before we have to go here thank you for uh, you know giving us this opportunity this was uh really nice to share some of our work and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you know the next you know half decade will bring it's a really exciting field great i agree with you it's really exciting yeah Okay. I'd like to right, echo, uh, thank Go. you so much for the opportunity. Uh, I think blockchain has a lot of um, opportunities outside of fintech and outside of cryptocurrency. And I think they're starting to bubble up to the surface now through the literature. And so we're at the beginning of something that could be fundamental in the future. So thank you for the opportunity to speak. Absolutely. And I think it's key to healthcare, key to healthcare too. So, all right, guys. Well, enjoy your day. And I hope to speak to you soon and stay in touch, okay? Thank you, everybody. Yeah. All Thank right. You. Thank you.